Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. January 12, 2010, there was an earthquake that shook the country of Haiti. 7.0 earthquake, and it sent ripple effects into the cities and the towns to the degree that 220,000, over 220,000 people lost their lives. Over a quarter million structures were destroyed. 1.3 million people were displaced. And it was a humanitarian crisis like we could hardly imagine. And the day after that earthquake took place, Pat Robertson got on his TV show, The 700 Club, And he made the statement that the earthquake was sent by God, that the destruction was sent by God as punishment to the people of Haiti because they for centuries had practiced voodoo worship. He said, quote, they made a pact with the devil. And that's what you get. So is that the way things work? I mean, not so fast, not so fast. I've got a few more minutes left with you, okay? No, it's not. Let's close in prayer. No, I mean, I mean, is that the way God deals with sin? And, and like, what about all the churches that got destroyed? And what about all the Jesus worshipers that lost their lives. I mean, it stirs up all sorts of questions, doesn't it? As long as there have been people, there has been suffering. And as long as there has been suffering, there have been people trying to figure out why suffering takes place. And as long as there have been people trying to figure out why suffering takes place, there's been a conversation with God going on about why God allows things like evil and suffering. And I don't know about you, but I have a desire to understand why bad things happen. I want to predict suffering, I want to sequester suffering, and I want to protect my life from it. So if I can understand it, that will better help me make sure that I don't encounter it. Is anybody with me? I mean, we want to make sense of the the human experience that we are having together and suffering is a part of our human experience. And so we'll even see people that live like reckless lives, you know, sex, drug, and rock and roll lives. And... And they get cancer and we sort of go, well, that makes sense. They sort of had it coming. And then you have the the mom of, of, of three or four kids who gets breast cancer and passes away. And you go, that doesn't make sense. It, it just didn't seem like she or they had it coming. And, and as soon as we start to figure out, we know the equation to suffering and we know the why behind suffering, something happens that just breaks it out of our nicely prepackaged, comfortable box, doesn't it? So what if we're asking the wrong question altogether? What if the question isn't, God, why does suffering take place? What if there's a better, deeper, and more meaningful question that we could be asking? That's what John chapter 9 is all about. So if you have your Bible, would you open there with me? We are going through the entire chapter of John's gospel, chapter nine today, and it's 41 verses. So it's a, it's a bit of a chunk, but it's, it's one story 
all together. And it's one story that flows from the last few weeks that we've had together in studying John's gospel. See, um, in the middle of John 7, Jesus showed up at the Feast of Booths. And then on the last day of that feast, he said, I am living water. And if you want living water, come to me. And then he stood in the temple a day later and he said, I'm the light of the world. If you want light, come to me. And then there was all sorts of debate that went on because people knew that he was claiming to be God. And the Jewish leaders of the time could not handle his declaration that he was God. And so they debated him. They pushed back against what he was saying to the point where Jesus finally said, I am the great I am. And they were like, oh no, you don't. And they started to pick up rocks to throw them at him. And Jesus, it says at the very end of chapter eight, that he hid himself and he went out of the temple. So Jesus has just walked out of the temple after a long argument with the religious leaders. And that's where we pick up the story. John chapter nine, starting in verse one. Are you there? As he passed by, he saw, everybody said, he saw. And don't you love that Jesus sees? Don't you love that Jesus sees the woman at the well? Don't you love that Jesus sees the man who was paralyzed for 38 years? And don't miss it today, friends. Don't you love that Jesus sees you? He sees you. He's not too busy, he's not too flustered, he's not too frazzled. He just walks out of this conversation where people are wanting to kill him and he sees a man blind from birth. And, and the from birth is really important because if you were to sort of pick up in Genesis chapter one and read all the way through the Old Testament, you would never find a story about somebody who was blind from birth being healed. You would never find a story about somebody's sight being restored like that. In fact, the people of God were waiting on their Messiah to come. And one of the signs that Messiah was there would be that he could open the eyes of the blind. Isaiah wrote about it. He said, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. And so shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute man sing for joy. They'd never seen it, but they were about to see it in their midst. And his disciples, verse 2, asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And I don't know about you, but at this point, if I'm the blind man hearing this conversation, I think I would raise my voice and say, I am blind. I'm not deaf. I can hear you. And so they have this conversation right around him. And I think the disciples are just showing us that we have this insatiable desire to try to figure out suffering. And they give Jesus two options. Was it this man or was it his parents? And we want to take a, a nice little package and we want to put all of our suffering inside of it and tie a bow around it so that it's, it's consumable for our tender human hearts because sometimes the world just feels chaotic, doesn't it? Sometimes it just feels out of control. So if we can, if we can explain it, it feels a little better. So, <clears throat> Rabbi, who sinned that he was born blind? And there's a hint of truth to their question. See, the reason that we have sin and death and suffering in our world is because of sin. 
there will be no blindness in heaven because there will be no sin in heaven. Somebody say amen. amen. There will be no death, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain. The old order of things will be gone. Behold, the new will come. And so there's a hint of the reason that we have any sort of sickness, blindness, death in our world today is because of suffering. But very rarely is it ever such a direct correlation as this person sinned, therefore they are born blind. It's not like his dad struggled with lust, therefore, boom, your son's blind. It's not the way it works. We want those sort of direct correlations. But what what they sort of do is they describe it in what we might call a philosophical idea of karma, right? So somebody does something bad or evil. This is the, the idea of karma. And then in the next life, they have to work out their bad and evil deeds and in order to break free from them so that one day, one day, they might live in utopia, free from sin, free from sorrow, free from harm because they've advanced so much and are so good. Good luck with that. I've met some of you. It's not going all that well, okay? But this is essentially what, what Pat Robertson proposed on the 700 Club. And Jesus doesn't take their one of two options. Was it his parents or was it him? Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus says it's not the issue of his sin, it's actually the issue of his, his suffering. And I think Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question altogether. You're asking about the cause, but I want to talk about the purpose. You're asking why it happened, but Jesus is saying, I want to talk to you about what I want to do through it. So let's first identify what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, I made this man blind so that I could make him see. Um, if Jesus were saying that, he would essentially be working against himself. He's not the cause of both the blindness and the sight. It's very Western of us to try to sort of fit Jesus into that mold and turn this into a cause and effect. I think what Jesus is saying is, listen, this man was born blind. We live in a broken world. We live in a sin-stained world. There's, there's fractures of shalom all around us in our lives, in our relationship, and in creation itself. Creation itself longs for its redemption. He was born into a broken world and he exhibits the fact that sin is present in our world. But I love the way that Eugene Peterson summarized and paraphrased this verse. Listen to what he said. He said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. And isn't that what the, fair, or what the religious leaders are doing and the disciples are even participating? Whose fault is it? There's no such cause and effect here. But look instead, but look instead for what God can do. And I think we often ask the wrong question too. I think we often start looking for answers as to why suffering took place. 
In fact, I was meeting with my counselor um, a little bit over a week ago, and I was lamenting just some of the hardship that I've walked through. And I just, I just said to her, like, I just don't understand why we had to go through that. And she said, and how would understanding that help? And I was like, oh! <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it, I don't know if it would. And, and I think I would suggest the same thing to you, that maybe we get obsessed with the wrong question. Like, what's the cause? What's the reason? Help me understand it logically. And maybe there's a bigger invitation being given. Maybe there's a bigger story that's being told. Maybe the invitation is that when you're suffering, don't seek an explanation, but search for God's activity. See, Jesus sees this man's blindness not as a tragedy, but as an opportunity to shine his glory. And what if you started to anticipate in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of pain, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of being let down, what if instead of asking why, you started to say, God, I want to be a detective for the way that your grace and your fingerprints are at work in my life and in this situation. That would change the game. That would change the game. And let me just say at the onset that that doesn't mean, God's activity doesn't mean that God heals in the way that we want him to every single time. How many of you know that that is true? Yeah. But I want to say this, every time God shows up, every time God shows up, and he may show up in a word of encouragement, and he may show up in the form of a friend coming alongside of you, and he may show up in sustaining grace or hidden manna that allows you to put one foot in front of the other to keep moving in the direction that he's inviting you to. But every time he shows up, and every time he shows up, it's glory. It's glory. Amen. Thank you. Praise be to God. So here's what I want to do for the rest of the time. So they wrestle with this question. And then for the rest of the time, there's an interaction that Jesus has both with this man who is born blind and with the people who are surrounding him. And so what I want to do is I just want to, I want to look at the activity of Jesus. I want to look at the response of this man and the people surrounding him. And then I just want to simply ask Jesus, what do you want to teach us and how do you want to encourage us through this story? Sound good? Here's the way the story continued. Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's still day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Raise your hand if you've heard that before. Right, Jesus said it in chapter 8, verse 12. And John wants us to make sure that we don't miss that this is a direct connection to that statement. If you want to know what it looks like for Jesus to be the light of the world, read John 9. Okay, not only that, but Jesus says there's a sense of urgency that I'm working with because my hour is coming. My hour is coming. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to close their eyes for a moment. This man has been blind from birth. So what you see when you close your eyes is all that he has ever seen. He's probably been begging outside of the temple for most of his adult life. 
he hears the conversation about him taking place. Hey, is this guy a rotten sinner? Is that why he's blind? Or or were his parents rotten sinners? Is that why he's blind? Which one, Jesus? And then I don't know, keep your eyes closed, I don't know if he sensed Jesus coming towards him. But here's what he would have heard. And then Jesus would have, down in the dirt, mixed his saliva with the dirt, picked up a handful of it, and went over and wiped it all over this guy's face. You can open your eyes. Are you kidding me? Right, like he walks up to a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. He says, get up, take up your mat and walk. And the dude's like, all right. He comes up to a man born blind and he hawks a loogie in the dirt, makes mud, wipes it all over his face. And if you're that guy, are you going, haven't I been through enough already? Like, Jesus, why? Why not just speak a word? I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Like, why didn't you just speak a word and heal me? I don't know. That's just me though. And then he anointed. I love that word anointed. It just reminds me of the way that the good shepherd anoints our heads with oil. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And then he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Stop there. There's a lot in that passage that's sort of right beneath the surface. So Jesus spits in the dirt, makes mud, wipes it all over this guy's face, and then says, I want you to go on a walk. I want you to go to the pool of Siloam. Now, um, if you're able to go on our trip to Israel that we have coming up next summer, by the way, there's info in your uh, worship folder about that. You'll get to go to the Pool of Siloam. It was actually just excavated in 2004, and there's still fresh, fresh excavation going on of the same pool. It's amazing to be able to sit at this pool and just sort of see and imagine what it might have been like for this blind man to stumble down to this pool. But here's what you need to know. The walk from the temple gate down to the pool of Siloam was roughly 700 yards. So almost a half mile where Jesus wipes mud on his face and then he stumbles in the darkness down to the pool. And you wonder if he's like, hey, could I get a friend to maybe give me an arm and help me find the pool? I need to, where are you going? I'm going to the pool of Siloam. Why? Well, because the guy who spit in the mud and wiped this all over my face told me to go there. And you just wonder, don't you wonder if he's walking down the street from the temple down to the pool and if people are singing, you got mud on your face, you big disgrace, kicking your can all. How many of you knew I was going there? It was just had to get there. Yeah. And, and here's what I want to say. Here, here, I think some of us, we have a misnomer in our heads about what 
Jesus's healing looks like in our life because we expect that if Jesus is going to heal, it always looks like it looked in John 5 with Jesus walking up to the man who was paralyzed saying, get up, take up your mat and walk. And it's done immediately. And we're like, praise God. And sometimes it looks like that. And sometimes it looks like Jesus wiping mud all over your face and saying, walk with me. Go on a journey. And I just want to encourage you to view healing as a journey. And the encounter with Jesus began a journey toward healing. But this man had to faithfully put one step in front of the other, trusting Jesus for a kind of freedom and sight that he had never experienced before. And here's what, some of you are carrying wounds and you're carrying hurts and you're wondering why Jesus doesn't heal you immediately. And what I want to say to you is maybe, just maybe, you're walking through the streets with mud on your face, you're on a journey towards healing, but you've got to keep putting one foot in front of the other if you're going to see the hand of Jesus at work in your life. And maybe some of you need to walk into a counselor's office with mud all over your face. And some of you maybe need to walk into Set Free or AA with mud all over your face. And some of you need to come clean to a friend or a spouse with mud all over your face. For this man, his healing journey literally got messier before it got better. And I think that's the way Jesus works in our life a lot of times. So he he feels his way down to this pool, puts his hands in the water starts to wipe the mud off of his face and opens his eyes for the first time. Starts, starts looking, I mean, can you imagine what the colors would have looked like? What the people would have looked like? He's like, Bill, I never imagined it. You'd look like that, right? Like, like just imagine what, like seeing for the very first time, all the questions, all the excitement, all the glory. And, and so the end of the story is that everybody celebrated and was just so glad because this man could see. And then they all just went on with their lives praising Jesus. False. That is not the way the story goes. <laughs> it's interesting to me that people don't celebrate. Listen to what happens next. So the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying... Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, no, it just looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. He's like, you guys, I promise it was me. Then how were your eyes opened, they asked. And he answered, this man called Jesus hocked a loogie in the dirt I know, it's weird. And then he anointed my eyes and he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he goes, I don't know. The last time he was here, I was blind. (laughs) Don't know where he went. You're asking the wrong guy. I can tell you now, but before I had no idea. This is the first of four times this guy will tell his story. First of four times he shares his testimony. This is the longest. Verse 11 is the longest of his four times that he shares his testimony. But I am just struck 
even a, a bit confused and disturbed by the fact that there's a man who was born blind, who's standing in front of them, able to see, and they're wanting to debate. They, they, they want to argue about it instead of celebrating it. And, and here's what I just sensed God saying to me as I was studying it this week. For some of you, this might be a word to, to expect resistance. That the healing that Jesus brings will not be celebrated by everyone. In fact, in fact, I think what they say to him is quite poignant. They said, we don't even know if it's him. Like we can't even recognize him. And I think for some of you, as you walk with Jesus and you walk towards healing, you might have some people who are close, who are friends, like these neighbors were, say things to you like, I don't even know you anymore. Or, or you're, not, you're not the same person that you used to be. And they probably will not mean it as a compliment. And it's oftentimes the people who are closest to us that are most skeptical of our healing and expect us to follow back into well-worn paths. So sometimes those closest to you are the ones who are going to have the hardest time believing that healing is possible. They will only recognize you as that blind beggar. They will only recognize you as the person struggling with addiction. They will only recognize you as the person buried in anxiety or grief. And so it'll be hard for them to celebrate when Jesus starts to bring freedom. You just need to know that. You need to know that so that you can walk with fortitude in the midst of resistance going, no, 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 I'm confident that he who called me is faithful and that he's called me to walk this road. But it's not just the neighbors who have a hard time with it. So the neighbors then bring this guy to the Pharisees, which is never good. Verse 13, (laughs) they brought to the Pharisees a man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the what? Sabbath day. Of course it was. What coincidence. When Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes, so the Pharisees again asked him how he'd received sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. That's his second telling of his story. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he doesn't keep Sabbath. How could he claim to be from God? He doesn't follow our rules. But others said, How could a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, "Uh, I guess he's a prophet. So this is the second pocket of resistance he faces. And I think it's just as surprising as the first. The first is friends are going, we don't even recognize you. The second is that there's these Pharisees, these religious leaders that are like, you're not allowed to be healed on the Sabbath. We have rules that we follow. They don't say this, but this is what they mean. And those rules are more important to us than God. And if you don't follow the rules, then who cares what you do for God? Because God follows our rules. The only problem with that is that there's nothing in Scripture about it being forbidden that you heal on the Sabbath. There's nothing in scripture about saying you can't spit in the dirt and make mud on the Sabbath or wipe it all over somebody's face on the Sabbath. It wasn't scripture that these Pharisees were trying to reinforce. It was tradition. And, and this is just your weekly reminder that Jesus doesn't have a lot of respect for tradition, but he has immense reverence for scripture. 
And the problem, the problem was that the Jewish leaders couldn't tell the difference between their tradition and God's word. Those two were so intertwined that they couldn't untwine them and they couldn't delineate. These are rules we've made up and maybe God is breaking in so that we let go. Let me just say that there are ways where religious people or even church people or even the church stands in the way of people experiencing the healing that Jesus wants to bring. And I think we need to just prayerfully and intentionally hold that before him and say, may it never be of us, Lord, please. May it never be. Where we protect tradition over being proponents of people's healing. So there's one more group that fails to stand with this man. Listen, verse 18, it's not on the screen, so follow along in your Bible. It says this, the Jews did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son. Like, we're pretty sure this is him. Known him for most of his life. And that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. They're like, we're not getting involved in this. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews, or the Jewish leaders, had already agreed that if anybody should confess that Jesus is the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. I mean, how dark does it have to be for you to experience seeing for the very first time and to have your own parents not willing to step out to celebrate with you. Your own parents going, I don't know, ask him. I mean, man, wouldn't you expect mom to go up, grab his face and go, this is what I look like. (laughs) I've been looking at you your whole life. Now you get to see me. I mean, if you're this guy, aren't you just going, what kind of bizarro world have I woken up into? where even my own parents can't celebrate with me. And they all let him down. And I point that out. I point that out because there are some of you who are in this room and you feel like you're walking a healing journey with Jesus. Like he has said, follow me. And maybe it feels like he's wiped mud all over your face and you don't know what's going on. And he's said, follow me. And you're following him. And it feels like you're all alone. And my word for you is that if it feels like you're all alone today, if Jesus is with you, you have a majority. If he's for you, who can stand against you? And if you have a confidence that he's calling you and he's inviting you forward, and if you're hurting, and if you're broken, and if you need healing, he is. That's his character. It's his nature. Even if nobody's walking with you and it feels like nobody's for you, keep putting one foot in front of the other, expect resistance, but keep going, friends. Keep going. And let me read the last challenge that I have for us. Starting in verse 24, it's not gonna be up on the screen. So for the second time, they called the man 
who'd been blind and said to him, give God glory. We know this man is a sinner. And at this point, I don't, what did they expect him to do? All right, I give God glory. All right, he's a sinner. But I once was blind and now I see. Like, what do they want him to do? Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. There's this third retelling. They said to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? I love that line. <laughs> he's calling disciples. You want me to tell you so that you can get on board and follow him and his his answers are growing far more terse and he's just getting frustrated i mean if you could see for the very first time in your life the last thing you want to be looking at is angry religious leaders you're like let me get outside of the temple gates let me see the temple let me see the forest let me see the river let me let me, i just want to see the world and he's like they're like well we need an explanation for this they reviled him saying you are his disciples but we are disciples of Moses. And we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. And yet, he opened my eyes. Testimony number four. Far more short. <laughs> and there's this jab in there. Like, yeah, you can't explain it. And you want to be able to explain it all, don't you? You want to be able, be able to explain how God works. You want to explain how suffering works. You want to explain it all. But you can't explain this, that I'm looking at you right now. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the beginning of the world has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born, born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's a great theological argument. Listen, he's doing good. He's in, clearly has the power of God on his life. And if he's not from God, then how in the world is he doing this? But here's the thing, I just keep coming back to over and over and over again. He just tells his story. I once was blind and now I see. I once was blind and now I see. And that's my encouragement to you, is to tell your story. Is to tell your story. This man doesn't know much about Jesus. He, he hasn't been to seminary. He doesn't have theological training. <laughs> Listen, he can't even pick Jesus out of a lineup. Where is he? I don't know. What does he look like? I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. He doesn't have any answers. He just has an experience. Uh, this Leonard Ravenhill quote just sort of got like a pebble in my shoe this week. Ravenhill wrote and said, a man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And I thought, oh, that's powerful. That's powerful because I think as a Western church, we have been preparing people and, and the, our motives are good. We've been preparing people with an argument 
and preparing people to explain their faith. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just secondary to, I have seen and tasted that God is good. God has worked in my life and he's moved and I can't explain all the details. And I don't have an answer to every theological question you ask. How many of you know that you will always, always encounter people that are smarter than you? that are gonna ask questions that you don't have the answer to. And here's the good news, friends, is you don't need to have all the answers. You can stand on the fact that I was blind and now I see. Peter says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, with the hope that you have. So can you do that? I mean, if you were to sort of fill in these blanks, I once was, well, I know that that's what the story says, but what about your story? <laughs> You're like, we got this, Paulson. We've been here for a few minutes, yeah. <laughs> All right, just imagine your name down here, right? Like, I once was, I once was angry, and now I'm what? Te testify. What? Patient. Come on, give it to me. What else? I once was foolish, and now I'm wise. I once was proud, and now I'm humbled. I, I once was what? Come on. Lost. Amen. Amen. Come on, from the balcony. I once was lonely, and now I'm loved. Oh, that's a good word. That's a good word. Can you share your story succinctly? I once was, but I've seen God work and he's changed me. It's amazing to me that these religious leaders and the friends and the parents, like none of them were having it. And they answered in verse 34 and they said, you were born in utter sin. They're back to that first question. They're hung up on it. They want to be able to explain it. And you would teach us, and they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they'd cast him out. And having found him, oh, isn't that, that's, that's good. Because first he sees him. And then he's cast out. And then Jesus goes and finds him. Some of you are here today because Jesus is finding you. Do you believe in the Son of Man? <laughs> this is great. And he answers, and who is he, sir? that I might believe in him. He's like, I think I'd believe, but who are we talking about? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He goes, it's me. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Believed and Worshipped. It's what the people who in chapter 8, verse 30, who believe were unwilling to do. How many of you know that the demons believe? They're just unwilling to worship. And Jesus said, verse 39, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Remember, Jesus is the judgment. Jesus doesn't bring judgment. His coming is the judgment. He had to come because all of us are dead in our sins and we are blind. 
And it's those who insist that they know apart from Jesus that are driven deeper and deeper into darkness. The light is today shining in the darkness, but there are some of you who will refuse to come to the light. Some of the Pharisees near him. Isn't that interesting? The Pharisees are just like behind every corner. They're like, what did he say? Is he talking about judgment? That's, our, that's sort of our jam. Like, or we're, we're, the, our, we're judgment jam. Like, that's who we are, right? Like, are we also blind? Whoa, 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 Jesus. You're using this. You, you have the audacity to heal this man and use it as a parable to talk about the way that we are the ones that are actually blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind you would have no guilt. Like if you just admit you don't have all the answers, if you just admit that you can't see, if you would just admit you can't work your way out of this on your own, if you would just admit that you need Jesus, you'd have no guilt. But now as you say, we see, your guilt remains. See, your claim to see apart from Jesus is the only thing that can keep you blind. The only sin that cannot be forgiven is the sin of rejecting the one who has the power to forgive. Let me say that again. The only sin that cannot be forgiven is the sin of rejecting the one the only one who has the power to forgive. So friends, when you experience God's grace, and I trust that in some way you have, maybe even this morning, respond with not only belief, but with belief and worship. Bowing your heart before him, saying, Jesus, if you say, I want you to walk from the temple to the pool. I'm gonna walk with you, even with mud all over my face. I'm gonna go on this journey with you of healing one foot in front of the other. And Jesus, even when it feels like I'm standing alone, I know I have the majority because I'm standing with you and you're faithful and you're good. So I'll expect resistance, but it's not gonna stop me. Anybody? It's not gonna stop me. And I will continue to tell my story. I once was, but now I am because of the great I am. And his name is Jesus. See, I think if Jesus would have come on the 700 Club the day after that earthquake in Haiti, I think he would have said something definitively different than what people heard that day. I think he would have said, we live in a broken world, one that groans for its redemption. But I think he would have reminded us, it's a world that I love, it's a world that I came for, it's a world that I died for, and it's a world that I am present in. And I think he would have told everybody listening, my heart breaks with yours. So in the midst of this tragedy, I think Jesus would have said, pay attention. 
Pay attention to the way that my grace is at work. Pay attention to the way that I display my power. Pay attention to the way that I deploy my people with my love. Pay attention to my fingerprints because they're going to be all over your lives. And maybe your lives are hurting enough to notice for the very first time that I'm the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that I love you and that I came for you. Pay attention. And I would say the same thing to us. Man, let's not be people that search for an explanation. Let's be people that look for God's activity and who celebrate his grace when we see it. Amen? I want to end our time by um, spending some time praying for one another. And so here's what I want you to do. Just, you can put your stuff away. And there are some of you, you're here today, and I think Jesus has you here because just like that man who was standing by the temple begging for his whole life, and blind and had this encounter with Jesus that changed him. I think Jesus has some of you here because he just wants to speak a word of hope, a word of healing, a word of restoration into your life. And it may be physical healing, it may be relational, it may be emotional, but you're here today and you just get the sense as you listen to the story and as you read it, that Jesus has you here to receive from him in a similar way. And if that's you, we just wanna pray for you and sing over you today. So if that's you, would you just stand up right where you're at so that we can pray for one another? Awesome. Awesome. Here's what we're gonna do. Um, I want you to look around and just sort of see the people who are standing up because in a moment, we're gonna sing a song together um, and we're just gonna speak Jesus over each other and over this place, we're gonna pray for each other. And so if one of the people who's uh, standing up is near you, if during this song, you would just put an arm on their shoulder and pray over them as we sing this song together, we're gonna pray for one another and ask that Jesus would move. So Jesus, as we, as we sing and as we pray, would you minister to your people? You have the power, but we're running to you. Would you move and work? Open blind eyes. Restore hurting hearts. Bind back together that which is broken. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.